Thompson. Oh. How about that? That's over to Ron Lowe. Seven straight points by Iverson. Looked like he was dead in the water. Ball slips her by Phoenix. Jordan. Open. Chicago with the lead. If that's the last image of Michael Jordan, how magnificent the series. It's Lillard. He got the shot off. Lillard And the Blazers win the series for the first time in 14 games. Starks. Yes. What a move by Starks who was able to sky for the basket. John Starks with the move of the night. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the 3 and D. I'm Paul Lombardi, and I'm very excited to be joining my friends here at Review and Preview to bring you a brand new NBA and college basketball talk show hosted by myself every Monday at 6. I'm with Tom Scavetta of Review and Preview, of course, to, to join in today and you know talk some hoops. How are you doing, Tom? Paul, it's a pleasure to be on this new show with you. Really appreciate it. I'm doing excellent, and I'm looking forward to this Bucks-Nets game tonight. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun, and I know this new show, you have a lot in store for it, so really looking forward to getting the ball rolling here. Definitely. I'm very excited, and, you know, speaking of the Nets, I think it's going to be a really good game tonight. Uh, I think that, like, it'll it'll be interesting to watch the to watch them go up against a team like the Bucks. Um, I watched Harden's debut and that was just, you know, that was, it was unbelievable. I think that it's going to, it's going to be very interesting to see like how the rest of the season goes with, with the Nets in particular. I heard he almost had like a quadruple double in his first game. In yeah, he, had, he had a triple double. It was, unbe- it was, it was ridiculous. I was like, I watched it from start to finish and I was like, if the two of them are on the court playing, not even counting Kyrie. If the two of them are on the court playing, both James Harden and Kevin Durant, it's unstoppable. Like I don't know who is going to be able to beat them. Like the the way that the two of them, the, the I, it's like it's tough to explain unless you actually watch it. Like it really is. You know, I, I think they're really great together so far, at least. And it, James Harden was into the game. He was cheering his teammates on. He was cheering Kevin Durant on. And we know that James Harden is a tough man to please. So is Kyrie Irving. So I yeah. think, um, you know, having those three together, I hope it turns out to be a great trio for Brooklyn. And it's kind of what they need because they've gotten off to a rocky start to the season. I kind of expected them to be a little bit pedestrian to start the 2020 season. So what? I'm, it's the Eastern Conference. I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do against the better teams in the East late down the stretch in the 2021 season because that's going to tell – how they'll end up in my opinion. Oh, there's no doubt. It's going to be it's going to be so much in, so interesting to watch. We have no idea how the three of them are going to mesh together too. There's a lot that goes into it. I mean, you look at it on paper and you're like, oh, "Wow, it's like so stacked." Like you're blown away at least initially with like the facts. I obviously that they gave up so many draft picks for it is like crazy. Like you're blown away that both that all three of them Harden Durant and Kyrie are all going to be playing together, but there's so much more that goes into it. You see how much they mesh and it's just, 
it's going to be interesting to see. And it's very difficult to predict, though, too. Like, this could either be a complete dynasty that that is forming right before us or it, it explodes. And there's, you know, and it's uh, they're going to have to face a lot of years of rebuilding. And that's that's it's, it's going to be one of, one of two ways, one of two ways. And the rebuilding is not going to work. I, I got I, I put an article out uh, this past week. Um, basically outlining like my thoughts on it, my, specifically with the rocket situation and like how they should, how like they should approach it. And I, and you know, I touched on that. I was like, they both have opt outs after next season or all three of them do. So, and you never know with Kyrie, like we don't even know when Kyrie's coming back too. like, that's the big thing. We have no idea where he is. So like, so it, with the three of them playing together, they, if this goes amazing, they're all going to stay Brooklyn Nets forever, and they're going to dominate, and they're going to play the Lakers, and they're going to play the LeBron in the finals. It's going to be a rematch of, like, what was it, the 2002 NBA finals when uh, Shaq and Kobe beats Jason Kidd. This is not the Jason Kidd Nets anymore. This is a, com- this is a completely new Nets team that we've never seen, and I, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be very fun. Yeah, uncharted territory, I just want to say. This is a different Brooklyn team, and I I do agree with you. I don't see Brooklyn rebuilding like they did uh, earlier last decade of that whole Paul Pierce-Boston fiasco. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know. That's going to be like – I mean, this this at least looks a lot better because Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett were so old, so a lot of people, like, could tell right off the bat that that was a terrible trade, the amount of first-round picks they did, but, like – Anytime you the the only reason why I bring it up is, instead of addressing like the KD thing and like the KD Kyrie and James Harden teaming up initially is just because anytime you trade eight draft picks like there's going to be a little bit of skepticism and you know there's a lot of Nets fans that didn't like the trade I know that as a fact look around NBA Twitter um, have a couple of of friends that are Nets fans like there's mixed opinions about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's definitely mixed opinions about it. But look, I think that James Harden coming, by the way, it was a complete shock because I know there was talk about it before the season started, but then it kind of died out. And then you saw all this um, controversy, uh, this controversy in Houston for him with John Wall, Boogie, those guys. It seemed like they didn't really want to play with James Harden and his time is kind of coming to a close there. But I think Houston got an excellent return. If you're going to deal James Harden, I think the return they got was absolutely insane. Uh, I believe it was four first round picks and then some. So I think that is really uh, underrated for them, not to mention Dante Exum, Rodion's Kuruks, and of course, eventually getting Victor Oladipo as well. Those are excellent acquisitions right now. It doesn't look too great, but in the long run in three to four years from now, Paul, I think we're going to see Houston back in the mix, those top four to five teams in the West. Oh, I think so too. And they've got so many draft picks incoming. I think like I feel bad for John Wall and uh, DeMarcus Cousins because I like they, uh, they came to the Rockets thinking they were going to team up with James Harden, that they were going to be able to compete. And John Wall's basically missed two straight seasons. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins missed all of last year and has had so many injury issues the last few years. I mean, if this was three years ago, and then they just trade for Victor Oladipo. If this was like three years ago, and we were talking about a big three of Wall, Cousins, and 
uh, Oladipo, we would be like writing them off as one of the best teams in the West, but it's not that case anymore. They're still trying to find their way back after injuries. Same with Oladipo. This is his first full season back after, after his injuries. And, you know, I think the Rockets are also still built to win now, like in a sense, they're not as competitive um, compared, like being compared to all the other teams in the West, but they still make the playoffs. I don't, I don't think that there's any doubt that they can still make the playoffs. You still got John Wall. You can still got Christian Wood, who's been great. As of right now, they still got Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker. Those two might most likely get dealt, but I agree. And they got so many draft picks in coming too. Obviously, if the Nets stick together and there's as dominant, those aren't going to be great draft picks. But if somewhere down the road in the next four or five years or something. They, you know, some of these guys leave and the Nets aren't as good. Then you're talking about the Rockets getting some top draft picks that the Nets have to tank. So this, the this was best case scenario for the Rockets to get rid of James Harden. He didn't want to be there anymore. You knew that. You they and you, you can't be upset if you're the Rockets franchise either. You tried for close to 10 years. You put so many guys around him, Chris Paul, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. And sometimes it's not on just the organization. Sometimes it's not on the, just the player either. I still think James Harden's a winner. I think that that he's capable of winning an NBA championship. And it, sometimes it just doesn't work out with the situation you're faced with. They almost beat Golden State that one year in the Western Conference Finals in that game seven. Yeah, I think it, it just didn't work out and it was time to move into a different direction. So I think it's, I think it's good for the Rockets. Yeah, and I think if Chris Paul probably plays in that game seven, there's a good chance that they win that. Um, yeah. You know, at least in my opinion, the way they were playing that year, because they were up in the series, they were up three to two. I want to say on them, no? So they were, they were. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you still have veterans on that team: PJ Tucker, Eric Gordon. You know, good shooters. So it'll be interesting to see if those guys stick around or where they'll land potentially because obviously with the trade deadline, I think Houston's going to be a hot team to watch because you just don't know what they're going to do. You'd assume they're going to try to deal some of these uh, older players that they have to try to set young. But if if they're in the mix and they're like overachieving, Paul, I don't know if you want to rip that up. No, it's true. It's very true. And that's, that's what they're going to have to figure out. Do they want to go completely through with the rebuild? What I think is going to happen Right now, they're they're not too, doing too great. I think regardless of what's going to happen, they're going to be shopping P.J. Tucker and Eric Gordon. There's a lot of interest in the two of them, and they can get stuff back for them, especially with Minnesota. I've been hearing that Minnesota really wants P.J. Tucker, a good defensive piece off the bench. That would be big. I think that their, their best case is to hold on, is to maybe flip some more veterans that they have, such as um, – such as Tucker and Gordon, holding on to John Wall, holding on to Christian Wood, um, holding on to DeMarcus Cousins even. Like, I mean, Cousins, and holding on to Oladipo too, because I feel like this is also just a rental with Oladipo because he's a free agent after this year. Same with Cousins. I feel like both of them probably walk after this season. So you're kind of just having them for the year if you compete a little bit. But you're, they're going to hold on to those guys without a doubt. Maybe trade some of the other veterans and just see what they can do and see what they can start building around too. Because I mean, as news broke today, Kevin Porter Jr. with the Cavs, he's he's getting dealt. It looks like he's either getting released or he's getting traded. Great young score. He's was one of the best. He was low key one of the best rookies in the league last year, and he's had he's had some issues. He hasn't played at all this season for disciplinary issues. So, and the Cavs seem like they had enough. That could be the perfect guy that Houston can take a chance on, I think. And 
possibly even become a backport backcourt piece to uh, John Wall. Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where Kevin Porter ends up. It doesn't look like he's going to be sticking around in Cleveland. But, um, Paul, I just uh, we have a comment here from Brian Attard. Um, if I'm just going to pin this here for a second. He thinks the winners of the Harden trade are were the Sixers. What do you think about that? I I think that that's an interesting way to take it. I mean, like Brian's a Sixers fan. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like I'm not surprised though because the rumor is for anybody that doesn't know, the Sixers were all but ready to trade Ben Simmons for James Harden and swap the two. I'm I'm not the biggest Ben Simmons fan. I but I also don't know if James Harden and Joel Embiid would have been the perfect mixed matchup. I feel like the and the Sixers have been surging so well this year. They've been one of the most dominant teams in the East. Doc Rivers is doing a great job turning that turning their franchise around. They've been right on the cusp the last few years. And now they're and now they're like right there. I I kind of agree with that. I think it was it might have been smart for the Sixers. I also think um I think that like Brooklyn was really the only team that was willing to do all that to, to do anything that Houston asked of them in order to get James Harden, because especially with the Kyrie drama, it, you know, the, it's funny if Kyrie didn't, if that Kyrie drama didn't start, I wonder if that trade still happens. They, there might've been a feeling around the organization that they had to make a push to prove to Kyrie that he needs to come back and start playing. And I feel in the James Harden trade might've been exactly what what they thought was the perfect opportunity to turn the negative media that they were getting from the Kyrie situation into positive with acquiring James Harden. Yeah. You know, I, I think, and Brian just followed up saying, no, not a Sixers fan. I don't mind them, but hate Philly. Gen- uh, generally they would have overpaid hard to get them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said it perfectly. I mean, no, I agree. With, I, I agree with that. And t- they were demanding Tyrese Maxey too. And Tyrese Maxey has been lights out. He's been lights out. He's been one of the shocking rookies. You know, we're going to go over our favorite rookies so far this season, but he's up there. He's one of them. He's been having a great season. He looks like a young, young potential star in the league. Kentucky puts out stars. They they know what they're doing. They don't and mess around. They don't mess around at all. I'm telling you. And if they were to trade Ben Simmons, uh, Tyrese Maxey, and draft picks, like eh. That it might have been too much. It might definitely might have been too much. And also, Sixers are playing well right now, so there's no need to do that. I I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. It was weird too because Indiana was involved in this in this trade as well. Um, Paul, this trade seemed like it was just hitting us from all different angles, and then uh, Lavert leaving Brooklyn. I, I was kind of sad to see him him go because he was he was a big piece for them. Well, I was too, and it was kind of shocking that the Pacers and Cavaliers both got involved, but I'll tell you what, the Cavaliers, they get an A-plus in my book for this trade because if you look at it, they got a bunch of dump-offs that the Nets had to get rid of in order to take on James Harden, and those guys, and those dump-offs are good players. They got Jared Allen and uh, Torian Prince in exchange for Dante Exum in a second-round pick. Like, that's an unbelievable they basically just snagged Jared Allen and Torian Prince for nothing. They really did. And that I give them a knee plus for that. I don't know how they, they jumped into that trade and were able to pull that off. We knew that 
if the uh, Nets were going to bring in James Harden, they would have to tra- shed like as much salary as they as they had to. So getting rid of Jared Allen made sense. Getting rid of Torian Prince made sense. I thought they were going to have to trade Joe Harris since they just gave him that big contract extension. But the Pacers are a different story. The Pacers, I don't know what I would give them because they got rid of Oladipo and Karis LeVert failed his physical. Like, and usually that annuls trades. I was I was listening to Jalen Rose talking about it today. And it's kind of like shocking that they didn't like stop the trade right there since he failed his physical. Like obviously we're all praying for Levert. Like it was it was a bad it sounds like a bad situation. We're hoping, you know, that the growth isn't anything too bad, but it sounds like he might be out for a while and they just got rid of one of their superstars in exchange for Levert, which if Levert's playing, I like that trade because he's young and more controllable than Oladipo, but if he's not playing, the Pacers just lost one of their better players. I don't know. Yeah, and it's just not good for them because Sabonis has been playing really well this year. Miles Turner leads the league in blocks. So, and of course, we know Malcolm Brogdon is there. So they have pieces to win. And Oladipo was, I believe, he was out majority of the last year, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, he was before, before the pandemic. So. It was really shocking to see him included in that trade, but I guess if you're Houston, good for you. He could be your centerpiece in the future if you know he stays there long term. Great, but uh, Indiana, I mean, it was a g- good trade for them in a sense where Lavert is probably a cheaper option than Oladipo, but him getting hurt now that kind of derails them currently. So, you know, in the long haul, I think it benefits them. You got a great piece in Lavert. Uh, which is cheaper than all the depot. But at the end of the day, you're right. Cleveland really did a nice job um, acquiring Jared Allen, who could be their future center. Uh, if you can trade Andre Drummond, great. I mean, the man leads the rebounds. He leads in rebounding in the NBA. So if you want to deal him, deal him now while his stock is high and then get a culmination of draft picks that you could pair up. And, you know, I, I see, you know, we might talk about JaVale McGee as well going somewhere else. So there's, and of course, Kevin Love, who's been there forever now, he seems he's still that one man out of that uh, big three they used to have with LeBron and Kyrie. So we'll see what happens with those guys. But Cleveland, they're, I think they're still kind of trapped. They're kind of trapped. They they have good players, but they're not good. <laughs> I absolutely agree. They Now, when the Andre Drummond trade happened, I, I did, that made no sense to me. This happened back in February. This happened before COVID started, before the yeah. season where we had the trade deadline. I didn't understand it because they really didn't need him. And it's not like they were on the verge of making the playoffs. They traded it for, he wanted, he obviously was not getting the extension that he wanted from uh, Detroit. So Detroit was ship was shopping him, but I don't know what the point of Cleveland acquiring him was. And I still, to this day, now that they, now that they got Jared Allen, I wonder even more. It's just, it was just a move that made absolutely no sense to me. Andre Drum is a spectacular player, but like, I don't know why the Cavaliers thought that it, it was necessary for them to add him on. And that, that, that brings us to the next aspect of the Harden trades, the aftermath. Where, where do these other teams go? Obviously, the Cavaliers bring in Jared Allen and Torian Prince. Jared Allen is a former first-round uh, former first round pick as center. He's been establishing himself as a good shot-blocking rebounder and starter in the league. So they have their future center, in essence, who also doesn't play – doesn't – uh, get paid that much so, and they got a couple of veterans in Andre Drummond and JaVale McGee who are out of a job now 
So those are two guys that are 100 percent going to be on the trade market and can almost undoubtedly be traded from the from Cleveland in the very near future. I think I, I think that this kind of clogs up any chance of Drummond even re-signing with the with Cleveland in order them getting Jared Allen because they can't play together. They both do the exact same thing. Neither of them can shoot either. If one of the if one of them could stretch the floor and hit threes, be a completely different story. But Drummond is the best rebounder in the entire NBA, undoubtedly. He's the best rebounder. He is the most ferocious uh, presence in the paint that I've seen that I've seen in the NBA. Like right now, the, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, he's very physical down low. And I think what other centers could take from him is his defense too, his shot blocking. He, I mean, he, I mean, he, he's not the most athletic guy. He's, he's big. That's what he is. He's a bulldozer. Yeah. I mean, that's right. That's what I like to call him, but that's exactly uh, what he is. Exactly what he is. Yeah. I mean, they're not so bad right now, starting off the year, their records pretty respectable, but you know, when you play in the East, the, you know, teams are just going to beat each other up. I mean, look, the the Knicks have been doing, I mean, not the last few games, but they started off the season pretty well. They have some pretty respectable wins on their resume to start the year. So, you know, that's definitely great for them. And, uh, right now, it just seems like as far as the aftermath of this Harden trade goes, I see Cleveland still trapped trying to improve their roster. Indiana, I think they took a step back especially with Levert getting hurt. Your, your team just took a hit. Brooklyn, great, but who's coming off your bench? And then as far as Houston goes, I actually think they might be pretty okay. I mean, the role players they got to, Axum and Kuroks, who could be a part of that rotation with Tucker and Gordon currently speaking. And then, of course, Victor Oladipo, who's instantly your number one, right? Because yeah. Walt and Boogie and Wood, like and that's pretty good rotation. I mean, that's a lot better than – other teams, I mean, Golden State was really hyped up for this year. They're going to be back in the top portion of the Western Conference, but now no Clay Thompson. That's really derailed them, and Steph Curry's kind of having a shootout by himself. And Wiseman, I think, I mean, Wiseman's been good, but I also think he has some in- inconsistencies with his game, and he's been a little injury-prone as well. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Yeah, and that Golden State team is depleted, there's no doubt about it, especially without Clay. There's uh, – the, once Clay gets back fully healthy, they'll be competitive again in the West. Will they be as competitive as the current powerhouses with the Lakers and Clippers as long as they all stay together? I don't think so. We might be, still be several years away from seeing Golden State competing for another title. You know, if they're able, if they're even able to do so, the league's kind of moved on from them. You know, especially with Clay missing his second full season. But I, but I agree. I think it's like it's an interesting situation. I think the Rockets are all right. Rockets can sneak into the playoffs if the question is if they want to, you know, would you want to do that or would you or would you rather just like tank, get a better draft pick this year and, you know, you start building for the future and you can trade P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, if you can get any value for DeMarcus Cousins or something like that. It's it's completely up to them, honestly. And as far as the Nets go, the since they get lost three players in Allen, Prince, and Kuruks, uh, and only brought on one player. They got a couple of the open roster spots. They already had one open roster spot regardless of that, I believe. So they need to fill out their roster, and they need to fill out their roster. They got so much scoring. They need to fill out their roster with defensive players. A couple of the names that come to mind 
that I was thinking about Rondé Hollis Jefferson could bring him back. He's currently a free agent. He was in the Timberwolves camp uh, during training camp and didn't make the team. Shockingly, I honestly thought he was going to make the team, but <laughs> somehow got cut. And Andre Roberson's another name too, who didn't get looked by anybody. Free agent, I one of very, very, very solid defensive player. Played for Oklahoma City the last few years. He was part of that backcourt with uh, Russell Westbrook for during the during the, some of those competitive seasons. He did what Westbrook did, like he did what Westbrook didn't do. He didn't. Roberson doesn't really have a jump shot. Doesn't really isn't a great free throw shooter, but he plays tremendous defense on and off the ball. So those are both guys that could be bench pieces. And Iman Shumpert, too. I'll throw that out there, the ex-Nick. He always provides good defense. Those are, those are a few names that the Nets the Nets need, do still need to fill out, fill out their team, too. And in order to be truly competitive, they got to they got to add some depth, too. And I think those guys could bring some depth. Yeah, and a couple other guys I just want to mention. John Henson, I believe, is out there, right? Mm-hmm. And then- Mario Hazonia as well. I don't know if he signed with anybody. Uh, Hazonia is not the best defender. I mean, I, obviously, you know, he's a former Nick. So. Yeah, exactly. But uh, those are a couple of guys that could potentially be end-of-the-bench players for them. So they have to fill those spots out. I think Iman Shumpert would be the most logical option if you're looking for a guard that can play D, um, get you rebounds and you know, not make many mistakes out there, gel with that second unit potentially if there's an injury. So I think that's a guy you look at. And then, uh, well, it was weird because Michael Beasley went unsigned by the G League. He, he wasn't drafted. So that was very interesting to watch. I mean, if you're looking for another scorer, he, he's there. I know he's old now, but he's there too. So the Lance, you want. Stevenson. Lance. If you're looking for a score, he was another guy that entered the G League pool and just didn't get picked up by anybody, which was kind of interesting. I'm not too sure. I mean, I can understand because some G League teams want to just go in the young routes. They don't want to have a bunch of veterans on their team. They want to see if they can actually develop guys and send them up to their major league clubs. Um, But it's kind of shocking because, like, I mean, Michael Beasley had a tremendous comeback season with the Knicks. And he kind of just fizzled back out of the NBA after that. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues that go into it, too, um, with Beasley throughout the years. If you're an NBA fan, you know that. Um, but I, they, they've got options. There's a decent free agent market right now because the fact that free agency was so short in November, they had to ramp it up in order to get the season. It only lasted a month. Some players went unsigned. And uh, I mean, a guy like Hollis Jefferson, a guy like Roberson or stuff, if this was a normal summer free agency, those guys probably get picked up by somebody or at least brought into camp or brought into summer summer league. You know, since there's no summer league, that's a big thing, too, which guys trying to make some teams. That's why a lot of undrafted rookies haven't got that many opportunities, too. So it's it's interesting. It's it's definitely a very interesting situation. Um, so on. So on to the next topic of discussion we got the mvp race now there's several ways you can go about this it's obviously like um it's going it's early in the season you can't really like immediately tell who it is but there's a few names that step that you know step out originally like once you think about it there's been some dudes balling and um the first one is luka Doncic. Now Doncic has been ridiculous. Mavericks have been another sh- have had another shockingly good year. Uh, even without Porzingis, Doncic is 
become a star in the league. And those numbers speak for themselves. 28.3 points a game, 10.2 rebounds, 9.4 assists. Like he's averaging nearly a triple-double. I think, personally, I think he's the favorite uh, out of the MVP race right now. He's He's been the best player in basketball and for a good team, too. He's a heads-up player and a tremendous point guard. He does everything. And I, I, I think he's the early favorite, without a doubt. Yeah, you know, he's an interesting name. He's only a third-year player, and right now uh, Porzingis is back, too, for them. I mean, they're only 6-6, six and six, but the West is very competitive. And granted, they just played a tough game against Milwaukee the other night, so that has to be considered. But right now, if you're averaging 28 points a game in your third year, you're doing something right. I mean, yeah, exactly. he's, he's out playing Giannis. He, he's out playing a lot of these guys right now that – are big name players. You know, I definitely like Luka Doncic a lot too, Paul. I think he's a player that, yeah, he's probably the front runner right now. I mean, you can throw in some other names as well. Like uh, Kevin Durant could burst on He's He's putting up like 31 points a game almost right now. So yeah. he, he's up there too, but this Luka Doncic kid, man, what he's able to do, if Dallas is able to climb the ladder and be potentially a top three, four team in the West, then 100% you give the MVP to Luka Doncic. There's no argument there. He's the type of player that not only can he facilitate an offense, he can shoot, he can play defense. He's pretty much the ideal NBA player. And him being an international guy as well, I think creates a little bit more appeal. A lot of people want to watch him play, right? Exactly. I mean, if you're watching the Mavericks, that's the first guy you think about. Without a doubt. Undoubtedly. I and I completely agree. He does everything. If you watch any Mavericks game, you see that he does everything. He's unbelievable. And he's not ridiculously athletic either. He's just a heads up player. He's an amazing ball handler, tremendous passer. He's got great size for rebounding. He can shoot from anywhere on the floor. He's an all around leader. And the fact that Dallas is six and six right now, um, they they haven't had Porzingis for most of the season, even though I believe he just returned. The the Mavericks I mean, you even look at that team last year. They made the playoffs, but I don't think that was a tremendous team. They're really not like a tremendously good team. They got like Maxi Kleber on, on off their bench, Dorian Finney-Smith. Like they're not one of the better teams in the West, but Doncic makes them one of the better teams in the West. He's an all-around difference maker. If they don't have him, we're talking about maybe a 2-10 and 10 team. I mean, you, you could go that far as saying that. Right. He's, he's all the difference. And then another guy who's been all the difference has been Joel Embiid. The Sixers have been dominant this year. Embiid has been ridiculously good. He's kind of separated himself of any question, I think, this year of him being the leader of the team. It's not Ben Simmons. It's Joel Embiid, without a doubt. 25 points a game, 11.5 rebounds, 1.5 blocks. He's been a dynamic force. He's been taking over games. Um he can score from anywhere on the floor. He can handle the ball. He does everything. And at seven foot two two eighty five, I believe he is. Like it, it's unstoppable. Embiid is uh, by far my second option, honestly, on my list. Yeah, Embiid is a really interesting player, Paul. I mean, you brought up how he's pretty much becoming the face of Philadelphia basketball right now over Ben Simmons. They almost dealt Ben Simmons. So they're clearly invested in Embiid over Simmons long-term. Uh, yeah. 25 points a game. That's pretty darn good. I believe two years ago, he averaged like 27 and a half, but yeah, 
Um, he's shooting over 53% from the field. And, you know, he's, he's also a little more consistent with the three than he was in previous years so far. He's shooting just a tad under 40% for a guy his size. That's unheard of. There's not many guys that can do that. So right there, he's definitely an intriguing candidate. Um, you know, the Philadelphia was a team that they got rid of Al Horford in the offseason, which is what they needed to do. They they got Doc Rivers in and they pretty much cleaned house and they made Tobias Harris the four is that's what he should have been last year, not the three, because then your lineup is just insanely large. Yeah, exactly. When you got six ten hindered Simmons, it's uh, yeah, you don't you don't uh, you don't need a six eight small forward. Yeah, it hindered Embiid's play last year, I, in my opinion. I mean, you know, effort was a question sometimes for him, but when he's balling, he's definitely like one of the guys you have to look at when you talk about who's the most valuable to your team, right? We talked about Luca just a minute ago. We're going to talk the same thing about Embiid here. You take him off Philadelphia. They're not above 500. No, there's no doubt about it. They're far below, even with a tremendous coach with Doc Rivers. They're not They're not yeah. even a 500 team without Embiid. With Simmons running and as Tobias Harris being the second option, they're, they're not nearly as good as with Embiid. Embiid does everything. He's a leader. He facilitates. And he's come a long way, too. You know, like when he came into the league, he dealt with some injury issues. People thought he was childish and stuff. He put up great numbers and was like, you know, a lot of people didn't like him because, you know, he was always starting fights and stuff like that. He's he's become a leader. I've always been a big Embiid fan just for the fact that he's that he's going to go out there and give you 110 percent every night. He's he's so good. He's dominant, too. He developed a jump shot, and he has very few weaknesses, too. And when we're talking about a big man that does all of that, then the third MVP candidate is Nikola Jokic. Now, Jokic is actually act- averaging a triple-double. Doncic is almost averaging. Jokic is averaging one. And I have him in third right now, mostly because he's been putting up stupid stats, but like I feel like Doncic and Embiid have been a little bit uh, – more dominant with their team. Denver's more well-rounded. Um, they got Jamal Murray and, you know, the rest of the team, Paul Millsap, they got Gary Harris, they got Will Barton, they got Monte Morris, you can go on and on. They got some They got some quality players. But Jokic at 6'11", averaging 10.3 assists per game. I mean, he is he, – he's well, well on pace as going down as the best passing big man that we've ever seen. And there's no doubt about that. He leads the league in passing. He does. He, he leads, leads all the cards in passing. And he's a center. Uh, yeah, before the emergence of Jamal Murray, Jokic was really the only guy you thought about when you thought about Denver. I mean, look who they lost in the offseason. Mason Plumley, Jeremy Grant, just to name a couple. Um, they're down a couple guys. Denver's not doing as well right now. Uh, they're kind of struggling a little bit. As far as their record goes, they're only six and seven. But Jokic has definitely been doing a lot of great things. He's rebounding a lot better too than last year. Not, I mean, he was still great last year, but now he's just at a whole new level. And Jokic was a developmental prospect. He wasn't great right away. He sat on the bench early on in his career, and now I believe he was behind Nurkic for a little bit. He was when the the two of them were young. 
the Nuggets brought both of them over and they didn't know who's going to be the better player. And then they decided to roll with Jokic and trade Nurkic. Nurkic is an amazing player too, but he's very injury prone. And he's not Jokic. Right. It's, it's incredible. The player that Nikola Jokic has become because he, it, just like you said, when he came over, he was a project and he was a raw project too. He was just seen as being overweight. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of issues kind of similar to like Marcus soul in a way. I mean, Marcus soul has had amazing talent, but like, but Jokic just developed into a tremendous player. He was a down low presence, but he also developed a jump shot and he can step out and hit three. He he can beat you in any which way possible that he that is that he needs to any given night. He's an amazing passer. You can't double team him because you're gonna find somebody wide open. Like he's just he is such a dominant player, it's ridiculous. Yeah, he's the Joker. That's why he has that nickname. He's been really great for them over the last couple of years. Denver, uh, I believe last year, weren't they in the Western Conference Finals? They beat L.A. in the second round. They beat the Clippers. They did. So, yep. And they, they were right down. Down. Yes, exactly. They were down 3-1 to one in both their playoff series. And Jokic, uh, as well as Jamal Murray, was a huge reason why they were able to come back in those. And that um, – success that Jokic had has translated into 2021, Paul. And I think he's going to stick around in this league for a very, very long time. I really like Nikola Jokic and uh, Malone has a good big man on his roster and you want to lock that man up long, long term. He is excellent. And you can see a common trend too, between the three guys we just talked about amazing head coaches too. That's why they develop into the players that they do. You got Rick Carlisle with the Mavericks. You got Doc Rivers with Philly. I mean, he developed under Brett Brown, technically, so it can't you can't really give him as much credit. And then you got Michael Malone with the Nuggets. I mean, these are tremendous, tremendous coaches, some of the best in the league. And part of the reason why they why these guys are as dominant as they are. And outside of the MVP race, we also have the rookie race. There's been a lot of good rookies this season throughout the NBA. There's uh, from every which way you see guys get slotted in, slotted in, and have been doing tremendous. A lot of because especially with COVID issues too. You know, we saw the 76 who had to put out like Isaiah Joe, who their sharp shooting rookie from Arkansas, um, who had a good game. Like you're seeing a lot of these guys get big minutes. Paul Reed's been getting a lot, a lot of big minutes for Brooklyn. He's on a two way contract. He's a rookie from DePaul, big man. Um, and he's been playing well. So a lot of because of the COVID issue and a lot of players going down, we've been seeing a lot of rookies shining. And there's a few that that come to mind right off the bat. The first one is Tyrese Halliburton. Now, Halliburton, tremendous lanky point guard out of Iowa State. I had a feeling he was going to be a great player. I wanted the Knicks to draft him if Obi Toppin wasn't on the board. Obi Toppin was always my number one choice. And I'm still glad we got him because I feel like because I still think Toppin's going to be the better player. But Halliburton is a star, and they also can they have figured out this Buddy Hield situation. They're going to probably go and trade Buddy Hield and create a backcourt of De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton in Sacramento for years to come. He's a tremendous passer. He can shoot. A lot of people was were knocking his jump shot because it was a little unorthodox, but he he's silenced everybody. He's been having a tremendous start to his rookie season. Yeah, and one of our watchers, uh, Luis Benitez, says Obi Toppin was a fire pick. He was. Um, thank you very much for watching, Lewis. Uh, that's he, my guy. That's my guy, Lewis, right there. Okay. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll pin his comment. Yeah that 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 was um that was definitely a great pick for 
the the Knicks, but not to deter from Tyrese Halliburton. I think what's really impressive about him, I mean, you just said it. They're willing to deal Buddy Heald for him, right? So yeah. Halliburton's that type of guy that is the all-around um, packaged player that you want, especially as a rookie. Remember, Sacramento is a team that uh, they just lost the big player in the offseason. It was Bogdanovich, right? So they brought in Halliburton to virtually replace him. And now you've seen the development of Rashawn Holmes. Uh is still there. And Fox, as you mentioned, has been the catalyst of that offense. But Tyrese Halliburton, 11 points a game as a rookie and over five assists, that's definitely something you can't shy away from as a defense. When you're playing Sacramento, you can't just prepare for De'Aaron Fox in that backcourt. You also have to prepare for Tyrese Halliburton. So it'll be interesting to see if that could develop into a potential Dame and CJ type of backcourt. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you might not be wrong though. It's, <laughs> I, they, that's a good call to Dame and CJ because CJ was a little bit under, a little bit underlooked in college because he played at Lehigh. Dynamic score fits well with Damian Lillard. If you're a basketball fan, you know all about that. But Halliburton and Fox could become that. I mean, Fox is a tremendous ball handler and playmaker in his own right, and Halliburton's a point guard as well. But Fox is also a tremendous scorer and a, and a speedy drive to the basket type of score. He's a good three point shooter as well. Halliburton gives him something. Halliburton could be a pass first type of guy who steps out and hits threes, similar to, you know, most of the point guards that we grew up watching, you know, before the point guard, before the point guard position became a dynamic scoring position, most of them were past first players. Halliburton is Halliburton has proven that he can score when need be, but he's a great facilitator. He's a great ball handler, and you know he he might be the perfect fit with Fox in that backcourt. Mm-hmm. And then the other another one, which is no shock to anybody, is Lamelo Ball with the Hornets. Now Lamelo. Everybody has known about him since he was a freshman in high school. Very, very famous family. Well, famous in basketball sense. But um, a lot of people were questioned, you know, where he was going to play. He's got a little bit of an unorthodox shot. People were talking about, you know, if if it would translate into the NBA. He was putting up good numbers overseas. They didn't know if they would go over well over here. And he's played great. And he does similar to what Lonzo does, but is a better scorer, too. He is a tall point guard. He's even taller than Lonzo is. He's 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, um, he can score. He can shoot. He's a little bit inefficient, but as many rookies are, he's a, he doesn't shoot a high percentage from the field, but he grabs a lot of rebounds, especially for a point guard, and he gets a lot of assists, and he's been playing some solid defense, too. A lot of people, you know, in high school, he used to cherry pick. Um Lonzo would grab a rebound, launch it down court, and he'd be waiting there for a layup and stuff. People have been seeing that. What and wonder if he was good? If he was a good defender, he's averaging one and a half uh, steals per game so far. Yeah, Lamelo Ball was very intriguing. Now, a lot of people thought he might have went number one overall in the draft, but he slid to the three spot, which is if you're Charlotte, he fell into your lap. That's the position you needed the most because. I mean, yes, you have Terry Rozier and the Devontae uh, Graham in the backcourt, but LaMelo Ball adds a whole different element to the game for them. And what he's able to do, I mean, you just said it. He's flirting with triple-digit uh, – with um, he's flirting with triple-digit number. I know the assists and rebounds are nowhere near that, but you get the point. In a couple of years, those numbers are only going to get better. 
No, so right now it, it's just really promising to see, and I, I like what Charlotte's been a, been able to do. I I do too, and it was a tremendous pick. You know, he got passed up by the top two. You knew the Timberwolves always seemed like they were leaning towards Edwards. They never wanted to show their hand and and admit to saying Edwards. But everybody across basketball kind of knew they wanted Edwards. And then they knew if they didn't take Wiseman, Golden State needed Wiseman. Wiseman's the exact player that they need. Throughout their entire dynasty, they haven't had a dynamic center. Um, and he's exactly that. They didn't need to get – LaMelo and Golden State could have been a disaster too to go along with Steph and Clay. Mm. That wouldn't, I don't think that would have ever worked. Some people were wondering if it would have worked. So Charlotte's got the opportunity to get LaMelo, and they've done well with it. And – he and you know I, I've been seeing all over Twitter too. A lot of people are like, "Oh, you got to start Lamelo. Like he's the future of your franchise. Why is he not starting yet?" I don't think it doesn't really make a difference. Like Devonte Graham and Terry Rozier are starting right now. They got seniority over him. They're both very solid players. Rozier's a great scorer. Devonte Graham had a tremendous breakout sophomore season last year. Like he's he's getting upwards towards thirty minutes a game. He's going to develop into that. He's obviously the point guard of the future for Charlotte. There's no doubt about that. But you know, people who really want him to start that badly, like, need to, need to chill out a little bit, I personally think. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Takes some but, time. Yeah, it, it takes some time, exactly. I mean, like, Emmanuel Quickly's not even starting yet for the Knicks. So you, you know? got to pay your dues, you know? Exactly, exactly. Unless you're, like, it, sometimes with the third pick, you're, you start right away, but, like, you have to pay your dues. Even so, sometimes with the first pick. So a lot of first picks don't even start until, until you know, second half of the season. So... It all depends on that. And then another rookie that kind of shocked a few people um, when he was drafted with a late first-round pick is Peyton Pritchard. Now, I like Pritchard a lot. I think that he was a tremendous college basketball player. I think that he was a great second. I thought that like he was a projected second-round pick, and I thought that he was better than that. And I think that like the Celtics saw that he ended up going late first round I think it was just – and they threw him right in the fire. And the, the the advantage to drafting a four-year guy in that kind of situation is you can start them right away. There's a lot of knocks. You know, I've been – there's a lot of knocks around drafting a four-year guy now with the amount of guys that go play in the G League, go play overseas, a lot of the five-star recruits and stuff. Four-year guys always make some good careers. And I'm telling you, it's uh, – I, I think Pritchard's one of the next ones. He has a really good um, mind for the game. I think he brought Oregon to an Elite Eight two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure they – I want to say they lost to Virginia or some somebody like that. Um, but he's really good. He's a good passer. He's, he's a good scorer. He's a pretty good shooter at Oregon too. And, you know, you mentioned it just a minute ago. He was a four-year guy. You don't see too many of those anymore, Paul, and – I believe Boston, they lost Brad Wanamaker in the offseason, right? They did. So, yeah, he's replaced him. He's already a part of the rotation, and that's why they drafted him. I I agree. He should have been um, projected to be a back end of the first round type of pick. And I think he kind of proved that he was that, you know, he's, he wasn't too far out of the lottery. He's only like 10, 12 picks out of the lottery. So, exactly. He's, and- um, He's doing pretty good for them. He's always had the talent. It's just the problem is you get a lot of overlooked players that, you know, that they end up passing on because of the amount of 
the amount of attractive five-star recruits there are in every draft class nowadays. And that's the difficult part because like, I feel like the four-year guys get a little bit of a bad rep nowadays. There aren't you every year you see less and less seniors getting taken in the first round. You know, it was a smart move. I think Boston knew what they had in Pritchard. Everybody, everybody who watches college basketball knew, knew that this kid can ball. And we, and he has every aspect to be able to ball in the NBA too. And we all knew that too. He's got size. He's got speed. He's got athleticism. Like he's a good player and an all around star player. So I really, I really think that that was a tremendous move. We got a question from Lewis. We got biggest thing the Knicks have to focus on this upcoming off season. I feel like it's tough. I feel like they, they got to keep going in the direction of not focusing on signing one of the top free agents because they're not going to be able to do that. That's like, that's Giannis isn't going to be a free agent this offseason. The narrative that these guys are going to want to sign with the Knicks just isn't the case. And I also think that they got to hopefully, with the draft picks that they have, do some good scouting. I really want, there's a lot of, this. this year's draft is big. This year's draft is going to be really good. There's a lot of guards in this year's draft. If quickly is your is your future point guard and RJ is your future small forward, then the, you can draft a, a shooting guard such as Jalen Suggs if you can get a top five pick. There's a lot of things to choose from. I think it's focusing on the young guys and you know adding veterans, you know good veterans around them. You always need a Reggie Bullock on your team. You always need an Erlens Noel on your team to be a backup. Like holding on to some of those guys, but just keep keep building for the future, not focusing on a trade that will trade a bunch of young assets for a star player that it ends up flopping again. I think the Knicks are in the right direction there. I love what I'm seeing this year. They have the right head coach finally too. That's the big thing. They finally have the right head coach. Tom Thibodeau is going to help this team succeed in the future. And they just need to build that team. They're trending upward. They're definitely trending upward. I mean, I'm pretty sure they beat Milwaukee, didn't they? They did. They did. It blew them off the court too. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, they're doing they're they're doing pretty good right now. So um, I believe they're seven and eight after today's win. They beat the Magic today, so that was good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean the Knicks still have issues though to address. They're a young team and you know they're I still don't think they're gonna win a heck of a lot of basketball games this year I think I mean maybe you could flirt with 500 numbers I, I kind of think that's their ceiling right now but yeah. um they're over they're overachieving expectations and hey, you look and- at this young team and one thing I want to say Thibodeau keeps the rotation short he only yeah. plays eight to nine guys but he plays the right guys Kevin Knox is finally getting minutes mm-hmm. off the bench as he should I mean I think at this point his role is diminished to a role player in this league. Is it safe to say? Oh, without a doubt. If yeah. if he can be a sharp shooter off the bench, that's all you need from him. He obviously was not worth the eighth pick with that, but the 2018 draft was very front-loaded, as we'll see in years to come. You had Luka and you had Trey Young and DeAndre Aiden at the top of it, but there were a lot of guys who are just role players that were taken later. And I always wanted Mikel Bridges instead of <clears throat> Knox. I always... I, I thought he was going to be a great player, and he's balling out this year for the Suns. I'm still upset that we didn't draft him instead of Knox. But um, if Knox can be a sharpshooter off the bench, that's all you need from him. That's all you need from him. If he can come in, play some defense too, 
that's if that's the kind of role that he has to do that he has to develop in order to last a while in the NBA, then that's then that's the issue. Then that's <laughs> the case. You see what James just said? <laughs> no, I didn't. Why can't you stop winning? I said they win 12 games for the season. We'll put that up there. <laughs> 12 and 60. That's not looking yeah. too good. They're halfway there. Yeah. They're six and seven. They're halfway there. I okay. I was like 20 to 25. That was my guess. This season is 72-game season. I thought they were going to win 20 to 25 games. So I'm still – so my – my guess is still like it, it could still happen. Yeah, it's still sitting all right. I I, I hope they do more. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I thought they were like a twenty twenty five win season. Pessimistic, but um, yeah, they're they're looking like they're going to win more than twelve games. So there's no doubt about that. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I mean, and I believe their schedule coming up. I mean, you know, they they do play some tough teams, but they're they they've been a tough team. They they're. You can't take them lightly. They've been really good um, on on the road compared to years past. I think they they've won some quality road games as well, and that's important for a young team. Eventually, like there comes a point in time where you have to learn how to win. You can't just and it, that goes for all sports, not just basketball, but for the Knicks especially. They're a young team. The more games that they win, screw this whole lose and lose for a draft pick thing. Even if you don't make the playoffs, you want to win basketball games against good teams that boost their confidence. Your young guys are getting experience and they're only going to get better next year. I love Emmanuel quickly, by the way, that's one rookie. We didn't really touch too much upon Paul. I think he is going to be a big part of the Knicks future. Oh, <laughs> there, there we, we go. go. Yeah. He's going to be a big part of the Knicks future. I, and again, 10, 10 points a game, pretty good for limited action. So I definitely like what I see from him too. There's no doubt about it. And I think that, and you're exactly right. The In order to develop a winning team, you have to gain some experience in the playoffs too. If you want to keep being a top five worst team in the league, you'll also with the new draft lottery too, if you're the worst team in the league, a lot of times you don't get the first overall pick anymore either. A lot of times if you're the fifth or sixth worst team in the league, you get the first overall pick. They do that on purpose so these teams don't tank as much. So I would love to see that. I would love to see them possibly make an eight seed. I think that would be tremendous for everybody because everyone on this team has not experienced the playoffs besides, you know, the few veterans that we have like Reggie Bullock and Austin Rivers and Erlen Snowell. They have experienced the playoffs, but all our young core haven't experienced the playoffs. It's Kevin Knox's third year. We obviously haven't made the playoffs. We haven't made the playoffs since 2013. So, so nobody who is homegrown on this team has ever made the playoffs. So I think so. It's it'll be big if they if they could sneak into playoffs. Even if you have to play like Brooklyn or Milwaukee, whoever the one seed is in the first round, like so be it. Even if you have to get annihilated by them, but it gives you some experience to yeah. play in the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. I think the closest the Knicks have come to the playoffs was the year Porzingis got hurt. I think it was 2017. They were pretty good that year. J- Jared Jack was the point guard actually. Uh, yeah, Courtney and Hart. That was the closest they got and. If Porzingis doesn't get hurt, they probably get in that that year. I think. I think that they had a good shot to get in. They were surging um, that year, without a doubt. Towards the end of Carmelo's Car- Carmelo's tenure, that was after um that was the year that they traded Carmelo, like mm-hmm. the beginning of that season. So they didn't have Carmelo that year. But towards the end of his tenure, they had a couple of seasons, like with Derrick Rose and stuff, where they were dynamic at the beginning of the season, but then fell off like right around Christmas time. Like I always. 
I would always like pick that up. It was like a Christmas curse almost. They yeah. always fall off around Christmas time. They had that super team with Derrick Rose, and we're not even going to get into that. But like that, those those were dark days with the Knicks, Phil Jackson days. But I know I think they're in the right direction without mm-hmm. a doubt. And then switching up into some college basketball, we got the story of Gonzaga. Now Gonzaga has been one of the better stories across um, all of college basketball for the past 20, 30 years or what, or so for as long as Mark few has been there, like pretty much they've been competitive, but they've never won a championship. Gonzaga is tough this year. If you watch college basketball, you can see they have a deep team. They got such a deep team. I think they're insanely good, and I don't think anybody's as good, anybody's nearly as good as them. It's easy for me to say that since they've been the number one team in the nation all season, but r- literally, they they have the, the they have the biggest depth and acro- across the league by far. The only the only chance that they have of they well currently they're fourteen and zero and they're five and zero in conference, and their remaining schedule is only conference. They play in the WCC, who has nobody. And, you know, I've been an advocate for them to try to move to the Pac-12 for a while now. I think that they got to move out of the WCC because no one can ever compete with them. You got St. Mary's and BYU are the only teams that sometimes can compete with them. But they're they're going to finish undefeated this season if they only play conference schedule. There's a potential there's a potential chance that they might play Baylor. They were supposed to play Baylor about like a month ago. Baylor had a COVID issue and they had to cancel the game. They've been trying to reschedule it. That would not only would that be great for college basketball one versus two, that would be a tremendous situation for Gonzaga to really show. And I think they want to do that too, to really show like how dominant they are and play against the second, the second best team in the nation. I think they still win that game. I know how dominant they are. We've been seeing good Gonzaga teams that have been falling short, maybe because they don't, they don't get the experience during the season of playing in a good conference. But this team, this is their best chance at winning a national championship, I think. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned, yeah, the WCC is not a great conference. But look who they played early on in the season. Their first game was against Kansas. Their first game, they beat Kansas. They beat West Virginia. They beat Iowa. And they beat Virginia. So right there, those are four quality wins. And I would throw Auburn in there as well. You know, mm-hmm. they won a lot of tough games early on in the season, so they are battle-tested. I think if they win out, um, they're a one seed, regardless of what happens to them in their conference tournament. I mean, they'll more than likely win it. But, you know, God forbid there's an upset of some sort. I mean, it's happened once before. So they really are a great team, Paul. And, you know, they lost some guys uh, – to the NBA recently. Two years ago, they lost uh, Hashimura, and I believe this past year they lost Killian Tilly, and they lost one other player as well who's slipping my mind at the moment. Philly Petrosov. Yes. He, but he went to play overseas, exactly. He was he was their star player last year, and a uh, power forward, good score. And I, I just – he was only a sophomore last year, so I think – so I always think about what if he was on this team too. Like it's yeah. – you got Corey Kisbert, who's a dynamic shooter and pretty much a point forward, handles the ball for them. You got Drew Timmy, a sophomore big man, who's been dynamic both on the boards and scoring. Jalen Suggs, who's going to be a top five pick, the the best recruitment that Gonzaga has ever landed. 
a five-star recruit. This is the first time they've ever landed an ESPN top five recruit. Um, I think that like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just insane. They got to have so much depth. They have Andrew Nemhard who transferred from uh, Florida this past year, obviously got a waiver because, you know, of the COVID issue, every transfer got a waiver. And these are all, these are all pieces that are just huge for this team. And so way, and you see every single game that they play, how dominant they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just look at their team top to bottom. Uh, even their bench players are good too. There's really no, not one player on this team that, you know, couldn't play or couldn't start for most teams in, in college. Um, you brought up Nemhart from Florida. He's been excellent. And top to bottom, if they lose players, they replace them with good players, sometimes even better players. And, um, you know, I remember watching a couple of Gonzaga Santa Clara games last year, and I stayed up pretty late to watch them. And it was definitely worth the watch because this team is elite. You know, I kind of wish there was a tournament last year because Gonzaga probably would have made the final four with ease. So, they, they were such a dominant basketball team. And, uh, you know, you brought up Drew Drew Timmy, 18 points a game as well. I think that's one player I really liked from last year. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Gonzaga is going to be a tough force. They're not going to lose a game. They're going to go into the NCAA tournament undefeated. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bold take by me, but uh, – I, th- I think you agree with that, Paul. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's a bold take at all. If we, if their schedule stays the exact same way it is right now, they're 100 percent going to go undefeated. I think so. They, they. I didn't watch much of their last game um, against Pepperdine, but they apparently played a terrible game, and they still, um, and they still came away with the win. Like this, the conference is just they can't compete with them, especially with with this kind of Gonzaga team. Sometimes they can get upset by St. Mary's BYU, one of these teams during conference during conference play, um, when they have a normal, normally dominant team. But this team is too deep, and there's no one else that can compete with them. I don't think there. I would be shocked if they don't finish undefeated, and uh, if their schedule stays the same. But if they can reschedule that Baylor game, that would be big because we'll we'll see some interesting stuff. And Baylor's dominant. Baylor has, is also undefeated, and they haven't lost by more than eight points. The game on Saturday against Texas Tech was the closest game all season. They had beaten everybody by 10-plus points, and Texas Tech, uh, they beat Texas Tech by only eight. So Baylor's been dominant, too, and Baylor plays such good defense, too. They're, those are just two fun teams to watch, I'm telling you. So besides Gonzaga, we got a few big matchups upcoming the week that we're going to uh, go over real quick. The first one, we got number nine, Kansas, versus number two, Baylor, Monday, which is tonight at 9 o'clock. A Big 12 matchup, Baylor's 12-0, 5-0 in the conference, as I was saying, and they won every game by eight-plus points. Uh, Kansas is surging a bit. They're back up to number nine on this week's on this week's AP poll. Um, I think this is going to be a very interesting game, without a doubt. Um, I'm, I'm excited to watch it. Uh, I think Baylor's defense, too, is – is it's just fun to see something different like that's basketball at purest form. They're they're so dynamic on the defensive end. Um, Jared Butler is an amazing player, amazing two way player. He's one of my Player of the Year candidates, and um, yeah, this this might be the best game of the week, quite honestly. Yeah, they usually put the best ones on Monday night, and uh, I think Baylor is favored by eight. So. 
I don't know if I'd take that spread, but I definitely think Baylor wins this game. They're really an impressive team, and they have uh, Vital, the senior that they got in the mm-hmm. front court. He's excellent. I, I love watching him play. He was really good for them. I think he was their sixth man last year. He, he was, was really, really good. And this was another team that um, you know had Final Four potential last year. So I, I think, again, they're also undefeated. Kansas, you know, they've lost three games, Paul, but, you know, they play – a tough schedule every year. Bill Self has a good thing going there with them. Um, you know, they have a good young team. So I think them against Baylor is going to be a very, very interesting matchup. And it's a Big 12 match. I mean, you just love these conference games at this exactly. time of year in January. Middle of the month madness, I like to call it. But, yeah, it's going to be – you know what? I might tune into this game as well, Kansas-Baylor. It'll be fun to watch for sure. Oh, it definitely will. Anytime you can watch a nice conference uh, – conference matchup regular season there's nothing better than that middle january up until march is the prime of college basketball and this is just one of the games and then tomorrow night we've got purdue versus ohio state now that's a big 10 matchup purdue um unranked this week they got a few votes for the top 25 but again didn't make it um not very shocking that they didn't make it but they have been playing well recently they were struggling a bit at the beginning of the season but they've won three straight and they've won all Big Ten matchups against Penn State, Indiana, and Michigan State. Um, so they're coming in and going to hopefully try to knock off number 15, Ohio State. Ohio State has been amazing. Um, DJ Liddell is one of the best players in the nation. Uh, I, you know, Ohio State's been a, a bit of a shock, too, because I don't think as many people thought that they were going to be as dominant as they were. They kind of came out of nowhere, but it's, this is gonna, it's going to be a good game, without a doubt. Don't forget Travion Williams for Purdue. He is electric. I think he's going to be my highlight player for this game. But Ohio State has a lot of good talent on their team. Um, you know, you mentioned Liddell. I also think Dwayne Washington Jr., uh, the junior out of Michigan, he's been really good. I believe he's their leading scorer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a really good game against Illinois, and he also had a great game. I believe they played Nebraska as well. So, you know, he kind of pretty much was lights out against them. So I'm interested to see what he could do. Uh, but, yeah, Ohio State, they're normally not known to be like any elite basketball team. I mean, they're good. You know, they're like well, the days they had Aaron Kraft. And, oh, yeah, um, of course. They they have surges, no doubt. Yeah, but they, they're a good program. But they, they haven't been this good in a while, right? Yeah, so. And they're there, and I think they're going to win this game tomorrow night for sure. I think so. They, they're, they'll probably take care of business. It's at OSU also. Um, they don't lose too many home games. I Purdue, the only the only thing that makes it very interesting is how Purdue's won three straight conference games, mm-hmm. and they're just outside the top 25. That's a recipe for a potential upset, but I still think Ohio State handles business. And then this matchup speaks for itself, Indiana versus Iowa. Indiana's not amazing this year. Iowa is amazing. But anytime Indiana plays Iowa, that's it's it, you know, it's worth mentioning. The huge Big Ten rivalry. Iowa's 12 and 2, 6 and 1 in the conference this year. Um, I mean, if you're a college basketball fan, you can go on for days about how dynamic Iowa is. Luca Garza, Joe Wieskamp, Joe Toussaint, uh, Bo Hannon. Uh, the McCaffrey brothers, Keegan Murray off the bench. I mean, they're they're unbelievable. And McCaffrey's their head coach. Their father's their head coach too. It's like it's 
They have such a good team. They're not an extremely athletic team, unlike some of the other top teams in the nation, but they're a smart basketball team. They can shoot. I mean, you got Luca Garza down low, who's just a monster, who is who's a beast down there. Probably, I as of right now, is the favorite to win Player of the Year, without a doubt. And you know, I they're going to win this game because it's in Iowa too. But you could see Indiana possibly giving them a run. I think. Yeah, they'll give them a run, but you just mentioned Luca Garza is so dominant. I mean, he's getting two blocks a game, too, defensively. So he's as good as he is offensively. You have to take into account his defense as well and what he does as far as protecting the rim. And this guy's been around for a while. I believe he's a senior now. So he's been I, – I remember doing a couple of his games. Yep. Uh, he is pretty much my pick to win National Player of the Year. I think he's going to be – a force in this game. And as far as Indiana goes, yeah, they're not going to have much success against them. They're going to have to hit some outside perimeter shots in order to stick around. I don't know if they'll be able to do that consistently enough. Yeah, I completely agree. And then besides that, now we got a big East matchup. We got a team that just lost today too. Worth mentioning 23 UConn versus 11 Creighton. Creighton, had a bad loss this past weekend to Butler. Butler has not been great this year. They lost a lot of guys from last season, a lot of their better players, so they've been struggling a bit. But they lost They lost to them, and they only fell three spots, which I kind of thought was shocking. They were eight last week. They only fell three spots for losing to Butler, who's under 500, even though it is a Big East rivalry. And you got UConn, who was 25 last week, ranked 23 this week. They don't have James Book Knight, which is a huge Huge loss. Their star player, potential lottery pick in this upcoming draft, sophomore. Um, they don't have him, and they just lost to St. John's today, too, which is another Big East rivalry. Um, a game that should definitely shocked me. I did, did not expect the Giants to come through. But the, this one, like, this might be one of the better ones because I really think this could go either way. Creighton also is it without Marcus Zagorowski. They're both without their star players. Zegarowski could potentially be back, I believe, by Saturday. Uh, James Booknight will not. He's going to miss a few weeks because he just had surgery. So, But if Zegarowski's not playing and if Booknight's not playing, then we got a battle of the depth between the two of possibly the two best teams in the Big East besides Villanova. Yeah, I just want to say one thing about Creighton. They are pretty experienced. I mean, Sharif Mitchell is there. They expect him to step up. And then Alex O'Connell, the Duke transfer who came in, was eligible to play immediately this year. That's good for him as well. Um, you know, he was pretty okay for them at times at Duke. But then, um, you know, you got to look at Christian Bishop as well. I mean, this is a guy who could put up double-double numbers for you. So it'll be a very intriguing game, not to mention they also lost to St. John's much worse than UConn did. So yeah. the fact and, that St. John's is two wins against both those ranked teams is pretty darn impressive. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And you got Denzel Mahoney too. I mean, like you can go on and on about the kind of depth that Creighton has too. We talk about the depth that Gonzaga has. Creighton's like, I mean, Creighton's not, not completely the, has the depth that Gonzaga has. Nobody does. Yeah. But Creighton's got some depth. They lost almost nobody in this past year's draft besides Tyshawn Alexander, who decided to who would have actually still been on the team, but decided to opt for the NBA. Um, they they're dynamic. This this game this game is going to be a fun game. I'm so glad that UConn is back in the Big East. Um, it's their right home. I I'm a St. John's fan. I do not like UConn, even though I do live in Connecticut. I do not like UConn, but 
I it is their home though, and I feel it, and it's going to bring back all the big rivalries. I mean, UConn versus St. John's, like all of them. It's it, this is where they this is where they belong, and I'm just glad to be able to to see them playing against some other Big East teams in conference play. Yeah, UConn didn't belong in the AAC. That that whole conference was like transitional phase. I mean, Louisville did it too before they joined the ACC. So, yeah. Wichita State. You had a bunch of teams uh, towards the middle of the country. Um, it was just geographically like kind of an interesting, uh, kind of an interesting. But then again, I mean, Creighton's in Nebraska, and they're on the they're in the Big East. So you know, there's there, there's definitely a lot of different geographical things that um, are. You can argue are a little bit off some of these games. And then one of the second to last matchup to look out for, two unranked teams. Now, when we're talking about Duke versus Louisville, it's kind of shocking that both are unranked, but that's the case in this week. And rightfully so, too. These two teams have been struggling, even though they have the talent. But anytime Duke plays plays against Louisville, big-time matchups in ACC rivalry, one of the best rivalries in the entire college basketball uh they're going to be playing saturday at four it's going to be interesting i'm i'm interested to see um how this game's going to go duke is duke shut down for part of the season because of covid so they're five and three three and one conference louisville's nine and two four and one in conference but they had some bad losses um duke just lost to virginia tech so i think that um this is going to be definitely an interesting one yeah, they, they have to lean on guys like Matt Hurt and Jeremy Roach in order to have a chance. Duke is not having their typical Duke year, but Louisville, who was ranked two early on in the year, I believe they're they're not doing too hot either. So, But it's ACC basketball, and the ACC is a very prestigious basketball conference, so you would hope that both of these teams get into the big dance later on and uh, get some, uh, get a good run. I think the winner of this game will have some leverage because it'll be a good conference win to make up for their previous losses. So, uh, yeah, it should be fun to watch for sure. Oh, I definitely agree. And then our last matchup, we got an SEC showdown. We got number nineteen Missouri versus six Tennessee. I think Tennessee is one of the dark horses, honestly, um, in the league. Um, I think that they're they have an outside chance to win the championship to win the national title. I really do. I think that they're a very deep team. And I think that and Missouri has been kind of one of the shocking ones um, to be completely honest with you. I, I don't know too much about them. Haven't watched a ton of them, but they've, they've been dynamic too. two of the better teams in the sec. This is going to be an interesting one Saturday night. And I think Tennessee is very deep. Keon Johnson. They got a lot of good young freshmen. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a fun one to watch. And their big mauler inside, uh, John Falkerson. He is a big man to watch. And, San- and I know Tennessee lost a lot of games last year, Paul. They they weren't very good, but they it's because they played a lot of tough games. It, Santiago Viscovi was a freshman last year. He's been elevated to the starting lineup now after being the, their sixth man for majority of the season. I remember watching a few of his games too. So you know those are a couple of guys to watch as well. So I think Tennessee's in pretty good shape in twenty twenty one. I absolutely agree. Also, EJ Anasicki, shout out to Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart transfer playing for Tennessee. He's playing some big minutes too. Um, Tennessee, 
was dominant when they had Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield after the two of them left the year after they were in a transitional period last year. They struggled, just like you said, a bit, but they're back in action this year. And they're up they're, they're definitely a dark horse. They're like, they're out there. They're shaping up to be a two or a three seed in one in the brackets during a uh, March madness. And, you know, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to watch them up against the rest of the sec talent. The sec is very without Kentucky doing well this year. It's, um, it's kind of it's kind of strange. It's it's pretty strange. Tennessee and Alabama are, are the two best teams in the SEC. I agree. Kentucky's doing awful, by the way. John Calipari is, yeah, his kids that this one and done rule they they have is not working for them so much this year. They kind of swung and missed with that. So they did. They better luck well next year. Brought in a lot of good talent too. They got they still have BJ Boston, Terrence Clark, who could be lottery picks, but it's just not clicking. And you know with a turnover of a new starting five almost every single year, this was bound to happen eventually. Like you can't be competitive every single year when you don't, when you don't have any type of flow going from previous seasons. I'm shocked it hasn't happened earlier. Like, you know, this, this does not surprise me at all. They have to have a down year at some point. We saw Duke, we've been seeing Duke and UNC having down years this year. It's, it's been a fun and interesting year in college basketball because the powerhouses have not had a great time and not necessarily you want to see that, but you'd like seeing teams like Iowa teams like Gonzaga just striving. And, you know, we're going to, we should see, see someone outside the box that wins the national championship this year. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. I'm looking forward to seeing these dark horses emerge like Iowa, a team that hasn't really been, hasn't gone too deep into the tournament. And, I'm really excited for the tournament this year. It's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be really great. I know with uh, COVID, they're they're doing things a little differently, but you know, just glad to have March Madness back. So that should be excellent. Yeah, I can't wait. That was I'll tell you what. That was the worst part of when everything got shut down in March was them shutting down March Madness. I that hurt. That yeah. hurt me in a, a variety of ways that was like that that was really bad i was very upset about that because that's why i look forward to every year it feels like so long ago we watched we were watching march madness because it's almost been two full years so it's going to feel so great when march comes around and uh and we'll finally get march madness basketball back it'll be amazing all right so that that's going to do it for the inaugural show of the three and d thank you to everybody who watched thank you to everybody who listened um, very happy to be starting this brand new show every Monday at six o'clock. We're going to be talking about the NBA, all the headlines. We're going to be talking about college basketball, all the headlines, uh, interact with everybody. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm very excited to join the review and preview team. And, um, thank you everybody who watched the first show.